reading from uh, James 3. My brothers, be not masters knowing that we be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If many man, if a man offends not in the word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they might obey us and we turn their whole body. Behold also the ships, which be they great and are driven by fierce winds, are yet turned by a very small helm, whithersoever the governor wants. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth of great things, and behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. For every kind of beast and a bird and of serpent and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue no man can tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You may be seated. Will you pray with me this morning as we begin? Lord, we come this morning, and in particular I come having chosen to answer your call to teach. And this passage has has helped me and reminded me greatly of the responsibility involved in teaching your word. And so, Father, with your word open before me, I'm asking you for words to speak. Your words change the heart and mind. Your words transform lives. May your words of truth settle on our spirit today as the word is opened and explained. And Lord, we pray that our tongues would be used as instruments of righteousness, peace, Grace, may they serve as fountains of blessing and refrain from the cursings of men whom you've made in your image. And to this end we pray, thanking you through your Son, Jesus. Amen. In Genesis chapter 3, reading verse 1 and verses 4 and 5. We read these words. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? A few verses later, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Some of the first recorded words in the Bible come from this cunning serpent. From the beginning, his words have questioned God's words. Has God indeed said? From the beginning, his words have contradicted God's words. You'll not surely die. 
Now, this ought not surprise us because the Bible also records for us in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 44, that the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, the father of lies is always planting seeds of doubt about the father of heaven and his son, Jesus. And I read Genesis chapter 3 because it's, I believe, the foundation upon which James 3 is built. Whether a teacher of God's word or a student of God's word, the tongue has been given as a necessary member of the body. Did you know that when sin entered the world through one man, Romans 5 verse 12, that the tongue was no stranger to this sin? You might remember back in Genesis, some of those words that came out, some of those blasphemous words, and that woman that you gave me, she's the one who gave me the fruit. Adam pointing to God as though this was God's fault. Words that come out. In fact, the tongue oftentimes is the courier of sin going all the way back generation after generation back to Adam and Eve. The tongue, oftentimes. The text we're looking at in James chapter 3 is familiar, I believe, to many of you here. And yet the word spoken here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit given to us by Pastor James... These words, I believe, have been lost and forgotten over time. Some of you might be thinking, well, aren't you exaggerating a little bit? They haven't been forgotten. I don't know that I'm exaggerating. And, and, and here's what leads me to believe perhaps this has been lost. You see, God's, God's word, first of all, is, is true. And what he has to say drives all things, including how one uses this tongue. But secondly, if God says these things about the tongue, which, by the way, he made, why is there such a recurring disregard for guarding this little member of the body? Third, since God's word is true, and the tongue holds within it the power of life and death. We're going to keep coming back to that. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. Why then the carelessness with which we wag this tongue? Even shall I say within the confines of God's house among God's people. And fourth, since God's word is true, the tongue, as we'll see, the tongue factors in greatly to the life of a follower of Jesus. He's either using it to breathe life into others or he's using it to tear down others. You know, we talk so often about there not being neutral ground. Church, I believe the same is true with the tongue. There are, there's no neutral ground with the tongue. There's no safe place. It's, we don't get passes to say certain words even though we really don't mean them. All our words matter. They all count. Thinking about these 12 verses in chapter 3. Though small in stature and capable of much good. The tongue creates large problems where dead faith exists. We talked about dead faith last week. The tongue creates Large problems where dead faith exists and warnings go unheeded. I believe the text today is going to provide many warnings for us. First of all, there's a warning to teachers in particular. 
let not many of you become teachers. The initial warning put forth by James is directed to teachers. And you get the idea that James is, is speaking more of one in a formal position of teaching, one entrusted with holding to and proclaiming the truths of God. Let not many of you become teachers. You see, teachers are, are rabbis in the day. They were held in utmost respect. They were honored among men. The warning put forth, therefore, could be, in part, a caution against one desiring to be a teacher out of wrong motive, to be liked, to be revered, to be honored in some way. Notice he says, let not many of you become teachers. He doesn't say, let not all of you become teachers. We need to also recognize that there is a place for teachers in the scripture. James is not advocating that the listener refrain from becoming a teacher altogether. So what is the point of the warning put here at the beginning of chapter 3? If we keep reading the text, it says, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So the warning is submitted in light of the judgment to come. A teacher is going to be held accountable for how he stewards his role as teacher. And church, as a teacher of God's word, as an elder in the body, I've been given a charge by the Lord to teach the word. To teach the timeless truths of God to the people of God, through the spirit of God, by means of the word of God. So why is the teacher in the body of Christ, going to receive stricter judgment. There is a principle, I believe, true in the scripture, to whom much is given, much is expected. The teacher who has God's word in him is responsible to teach the whole counsel of God, Acts 20, verse 27. And to hold fast this faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict Titus 1 verse 9. A teacher is concerned not about getting his words out but communicating God's words. As an elder one of the roles I'm entrusted with is teaching, feeding the flock. And with God's spirit igniting the way, it's my desire to help you understand what this word says. A teacher delights in explaining the meaning of the text. There ought to be some teaching that goes into helping one understand what the text says. A teacher welcomes the opportunity to jump in the chariot with those who are still asking the question. How can I understand unless someone guides me? Unless someone explains it to me? The warning comes from James in light of the stricter judgment. Notice stricter has a comparative sense to it. Stricter. But why? The teacher of God's word spends much time in this word. I realize that as we come to a text on a Sunday, I probably have spent more time than you have in the text. I realize that. Doesn't mean I have a monopoly on the text. I have spent a lot of time on the text. Just as a side note, while as teacher of the word on a Sunday, I have responsibility to spend time in the word that I might know how and be able to effectively teach you what God's word says. Is it not still your responsibility as a child of God to desire to know what the word says yourself? Is it not true that the greatest teacher within you, the Holy Spirit... 
can also enlighten you, open your eyes to see these wonderful words of life in Scripture. So the side note is this. While it is a joy to be able to teach God's Word on a Sunday, if Sunday is the only time you're opening and cracking open that Bible, we're missing the point. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. Each one of us in Christ are commissioned to be teachers, are we not? I believe the words go something like this. Go therefore make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. What are we to teach them? Teach them to obey all things that I have commanded, Jesus says. And lo, I'll be with you while you do it. As a subject of the king, the teacher is entrusted to faithfully administer this word from the king. And church, this is no light matter. One writer speaking of this says, in, in the Christian world, teaching is not so much a privilege as a responsibility for which we will be held accountable. Religious teachers in James's world were those who passed on sacred tradition. Their key task was to learn it accurately and transmit it exactly. Listen to this. Only after written texts or oral traditions were correctly memorized were disciples of the rabbi ready to discuss them lest they misrepresent them unwittingly. Isn't that interesting? That the disciples had to know and learn, memorize, before they could even have a a court for conversation with the rabbi. That's interesting. You see, our words matter. And the teacher is charged with the weight of truth. I think about what Paul says. Who is sufficient for these things? You know, there are a lot of times I'm up here and I I don't feel sufficient for teaching on a particular text, a particular passage. I don't stand up here to teach from the perspective of having arrived. I've climbed the peak. Therefore, listen to me. No. I put my shoes and socks on the same way you do. I'm a human being just like you are. You see where God's truth is at stake. And here it is. And in the balance is whether the teacher will teach to scratch an itch of the listener or do his best to present himself to God as one approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. Here's what happens. When there is a teacher doing his best to present the truth, to rightly divide the truth, there are times when the listener doesn't like that truth. And yet, as a teacher of God's word, I must teach God's word. And there are times when you, perhaps, may not like what comes out. My hope is that what comes out is God's truth. So perhaps you need to consider if you don't like what comes out. You perhaps need to take that up with God. His truth triumphs. James connects the first part of verse 2 with the Last part of verse 1. For we all stumble or offend in many ways. What kind of stumbling would a teacher encounter often? See, a teacher compiles words to communicate the word. And in the process of many words, the teacher, yes, even the teacher, will stumble and offend. Stumble in terms of not teaching the text. Stumble in terms of substituting God's word for his own word. Stumble in terms of wrong application, perhaps, of a particular text. The the teacher pieces together words, endeavoring to take each text and shine the light of Christ on the text. The teacher is charged with 
helping the listener understand the text and then point the listener toward Christ, who alone saves. There are times when we, as teachers, stumble in these things. Lord, forgive us when we do stumble in these things. We see in the text, he moves from the teacher stumbling in many things. He now addresses his listener. Look in verse 2. If anyone, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So we have a warning from specifically to the teachers, and now we see words of life from the tongue. James is going to address the tongue and, and speak about it in a positive way. Praise the Lord, he does so. This is not just a text that talks about the bad, the wicked, the evil, the darkness of the tongue. It does talk about that. But that's not all it talks about. Words of life, here chapter, verse 2 through verse 5, beginning of verse 5. He moves from the teacher and his stumbling to anyone. The right use of the tongue is applicable to the teacher, but is it not also applicable to all in the church? Amen? Applicable to all. Right use of the tongue. The stumbling used in the first part of verse 2 is connected with the stumbling right here in the last part. As he applies the stumbling to all, James specifies now the means of it. In word. In word. Anyone here stumbled or offended in word? Anybody? Just a few of you. Okay. Oh, we got two hands in the back. Two hands. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Parents, are you not teachers planted by God in your household? Intended to train and nurture the children in your care. Our words can bring life to the children, but they can also cause destruction. Angry words that roll off the tongue can cause great damage in the household. That light in the eyes of your children can grow dim over time. As the words of dad and mom continue to belittle, condemn, provoke, and nitpick. That's not just parents, though. Some of you here have caused others to stumble by how you have used your tongue. Perhaps it's counsel that you've given to someone. Let me ask a question. In giving someone counsel, what is it that your counsel is based on? Is your counsel grounded on God's word of truth? Is it grounded on your own experience? Is it grounded on your opinion? What's it grounded on? There's a big difference between your opinion, your experience, and God's word of truth. Sins of the tongue, church, can come in many shapes and sizes. And the text today, I believe, draws attention to the tongue and the magnitude and the power that this little member holds for life and death, for good, for evil. Remember, as you read the text... That sins of the tongue are connected to a root issue of the heart. More on that as we progress. Notice the conditional statement, verse 2, if anyone does not stumble in word. Is there anyone here who can say they have not stumbled in word? This conditional statement, then, shows what does happen... In the life of the follower of Jesus, when his tongue is used rightly. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. He is spiritually mature. That word perfect has in mind a couple things. It can be used in context of perfect, as in thinking about who Jesus is. He's perfect. But it can also be used as James has used it in this 
book already. Perfect in the sense of mature, complete. Here I believe James is using it in that latter format of one who is spiritually mature. The one who does not stumble in word, he is a mature man. Able to bridle the whole body. I want you to think about what the verse is saying for just a moment. The implications for you, the implications for your family, the implications for the body of Christ. Your tongue is a barometer of your maturity in Christ. Your tongue is a barometer for your maturity in Christ. You can tell a lot about a person by the words that they speak. You can tell a lot about a person by the listening to the prayer that they pray. You can tell whether there is any relationship there. You can tell whether that person really knows. Maybe has spent any time talking to the Lord. You can oftentimes tell some things. Not only is the tongue a barometer of one's maturity in Christ, but when used rightly, James says that it is able to bridle the whole body. The tongue turns the whole body. And I want you to see that the tongue has power of life. That a tongue used for the glory of the Lord has power to bridle the whole body, church. God's words are wonderful words. And the tongue would do well to feed upon these wonderful words regularly. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? The mouth speaks. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's connect them. Your mouth will tend to speak of the things you treasure most. Your mouth is going to speak the things that you treasure most. Think about, take inventory of what you talk most about. Tells a lot about what your treasure is. If you talk not a whole lot about Christ, that ought to tell you something about your heart. There's a connection. The Bible tells us there's a connection. His words in us are intended to translate to his words flowing out of us. Christ in us ought to result in Christ pouring out of us through the tongue. And so James now is illustrating in verses 3 and 4, he's going to illustrate the truth. He says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. What is the point of James's illustrations? Remember that illustrations help us understand the truth of the text. So how do these two illustrations give greater understanding to what James is communicating? One writer, I believe, says this very well. He says, James proceeds to give us illustrations of the control that something very small can have over something very large. So the truth is this. God has given you a very small member called the tongue. Though small, it has the power to control the whole body. A small bit in the horse's mouth has the power to control the entire horse. A small rudder in the ship has the power to control the whole ship. So James now on the back end of the illustrations says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Now you might be inclined right here in the text to think of the tongue and boasting in a negative sense. Here, though, I believe James is drawing the listener to connect, connect the illustrations he's just given to the truth of the tongue. The tongue is a little member and boasts great things. While it's true that the tongue, when it boasts great things, oftentimes is boasting from the well of selfishness, it is also true that one can boast of the great things of Christ. The Bible says in Galatians 6.14, Paul says, But God forbid that I should boast except in what? Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.30, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity, my weakness. Jeremiah, the prophet in chapter 9, reminds us that if one boasts, he is to boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That's the Lord. We're not going to boast in riches. We're not going to boast in our wealth. We're not going to boast in our wisdom. Well, let's boast. God says, if you're going to boast, if you have anything to boast about, boast in the fact that you know me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. See, James is not simply addressing the tongue from the negative side. I believe verses 2, 3, 4, and the first part of 5 paint a picture of the good that can come from the tongue as well. Good, church, good. That God intends for his followers to exhibit. The tongue has the power of life. And you know, the Proverbs alone, they have so much to say about the positive effect of the tongue. Oftentimes we turn to the Proverbs and look, look at the negative, look at the bad. And yes, it's there. The warnings are there, but there are good things there too. There are positive things there. There are words of life there about our tongue. Let me just give you a few. Proverbs 10, 10, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Proverbs 10, 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Proverbs 10, 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. Proverbs 10, 31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. 10, 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Proverbs 12, 18, the tongue of the wise promotes health. Proverbs 12, 22, those who deal truthfully with their lips are his delight. Proverbs 13, 3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life. 14, 5 says a faithful witness does not lie. 15, 2 says the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. 15, 4 says a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. 21, 23 says whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. And you know that last chapter in Proverbs? Here's one for you, ladies. That Proverbs 31 woman. Listen to what it says. Verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is what? The law of kindness. After raising an awareness of the tongue's ability for good. He moves on to address an ongoing problem that ought not be in the life of the church. A tongue that speaks words of life can also be used to speak words of death. Words of death. And I believe here in 5 through 8, he's going to address that. James describes the sinful effects of the tongue. Following the statement at the end of verse 5, he says, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. How often... Do you hear reports and stories of a forest fire? Right? And, and perhaps we don't hear the story necessarily of how they get started. But many of us understand that it takes but a little match to start it. And if there's something around it to continue feeding it, it's going to spread. It's going to grow. A little fire kindles great damage. So, having just talked about how this little member can turn the whole body, James now speaks of this same little member and shows what happens when it remains unguarded and uncontrolled. Okay? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. A little fire might not seem like a big deal. But the little fire spreads to engulf an entire forest. Sin is a lot like that, isn't it? Paul says it this way in Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven. Listen to what he says. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. He's writing to the church. The church ought to be a new, they're a new creation. They ought to be acting like new creations. He says, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Since you are truly unleavened. 
to give a little more detail to it, he goes on and says, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Purge it out that you may be who it is Christ has called you to be. Who he's made you to be. A new creation in Christ. The tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity or a world of unrighteousness. It spreads its deadly poison. We can see that in verse 8. And it coats the church with its flames. Your tongue as a part of the body. Is not exempt. James speaks to anyone here in the text. Anyone. If you have a tongue and you consider yourself a part of the body of Christ, I want you to know that your tongue has potential to spark a forest fire. In what way? I'll give you a few examples gossip. Two parties involved, one, one who delights in talking about something or someone else. And then there's just one who readily receives what the other party has to say. They enjoy the tasty morsels. Slander. Closely akin to the gossip. Malicious speech toward a brother or sister. Oftentimes behind their back. Intended to harm, tended to create some kind of leverage, some kind of advantage, usually some kind of comparison, some kind of jealousy or envy. Lies, opposite of the truth. The Bible says that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. What's it mean if something is an abomination to the Lord, church? It means he hates it. He hates it. In fact, it made the list in Proverbs 6 of the things God hates. Lying lips. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There's deception. James has been talking much about that already. Three different occasions. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Verse 16 of chapter 1. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Chapter 1, verse 22. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, oh, he's talking about bridling his tongue back in chapter 1, verse 26. If you think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue but deceive your own heart, this one's religion is useless. Anger, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, nor give place to the devil, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Critical or judgmental spirit. Galatians 5.15 says, if you, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Or pride. If we're, you know, if we're not exercising godliness with these little members called the tongue, then by default, pride enters in. What is characteristic of the prideful tongue? Conversation centered on me. It's like you walk around in this big bubble and, and everything that comes out is oftentimes about you. You are the center of your world. You. I mean, have you ever had conversation with someone who, and you always feel like the, the focus keeps going back to that person. You can talk about a lot of different things, but it, it always seems to come back to that person, no matter what the topic. The person has a way of drawing conversation to self. I want you to consider all the conversations that might occur in the body this afternoon. Let's just take that as an example. Pockets of conversation over the lunch table. Pockets of conversation perhaps out on the playground. Young people. Pockets of conversation out in the parking lot. And I'm only touching on the small number of conversations that are here on a Sunday morning. If your tongue is out of control, unbridled, consider the fire kindled. How much kindling gets piled up in the body on a Sunday morning alone? As James says, brethren, this ought not be. How much more kindling do we add 
throughout the week, church. Lest you think that the written word is somehow off limits to the text, you need to know that your email, your blog, your social media talk, how much kindling is added through your words? Think about the implications. 20-some families worth of tongues. Out of control. Think about it for just a moment. Our purpose in gathering is to worship the king. And yet I wonder and I ask, how does the body collectively worship the king when various tongues have been marching unhindered, out of control all week long? How does that work? Jeremiah says it this way. Speaking the words of the Lord to the house of Judah. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you do not know and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold I, even I have seen it, says the Lord. A few verses later he says... This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Church, I would ask that you hear what the Spirit is saying in the text. Much damage has been done through these little tongues. James is warning all of us to guard what comes out of this tongue. He's showing us the destructive potency of such a little member. Take heed to how you hear. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It can turn the whole body, but it can also defile the whole body. Do you see that? It can turn the whole body for good. It can also defile the whole body. Your tongue serves as a representative of your being. In fact, Proverbs 16, 27 says that an ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. The tongue also sets on fire, the text says, the course of nature. And it's hard to know exactly what James is driving at here. This is a, one of the difficult portions of the, of the text. But it seems likely that he speaks to the longevity of the tongue's destructive power. The course of nature has been rendered, has in mind this idea of the wheel of life, which can speak to the whole of one's life from beginning to the end. And so the tongue's devastation can begin at a young age and continue onward into old age. In light of this, parents... Do you begin to see how significant training up a child is? Does the training called for include the use of one's tongue? Absolutely. Uncontrolled tongues can cause quite a fire. And parents that fail to address the tongues of their children. A tongue problem, by the way, is an indicator of a greater heart problem, is it not? Huh? Tongue problem is an indicator of a heart problem. Not only does this have potential for long-term damage in their own life, but it will damage the household in which you live and damage the church as well. You see, what once started out, and, and, and sometimes, you know, when they start out and, and they're saying those words like, it's mine and, and you know, me and mine, and those, we don't have to teach them those words. They come out and we think, we maybe laugh and giggle and, <laughs> oh. But, but the sad commentary in all of it is we continue either laughing or giggling as they grow older. We never address what comes out, which is really rooted right here. We're not talking about behavior modification, right? We're talking about dealing with a heart problem. 
Hard issues. Exercising an uncontrolled tongue and parenting that perhaps is uncontrolled in its own right. So perhaps what we have here are two things that ought not be. Tongue is meant to operate under control. Parent has been given by God to discipline and admonish the child in a righteous path. Now James 3 verse 6, it ends with one other aspect of the tongue. It says, it is set on fire by hell. The literal rendering is that the tongue is set on fire by Gehenna or Hinnom. Now this reference uh, is to a location along the southern slope of Jerusalem near the Dung Gate. You might recall the Dung Gate, the name that it received. A place known as the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hena, just outside Jerusalem was the city garbage dump and it was used in many occasions as a picture of hell, the place of punishment for the wicked. So in what sense then is your tongue set on fire by hell? I believe Romans 6 is helpful here. Romans 6 speaks of the members of your body. Before you were united with Christ, think about this for just a moment. Before you were united with Christ, you used your members, one of those members being the tongue. You used your members as slaves of unrighteousness to sin. Having died with Christ, though, you are to be exercising the members of your body now as being alive to God from the dead. To use these members now as instruments of righteousness to God. The tongue can be used to accomplish, this is important we understand this, the tongue can be used to accomplish the enemy's objective. Did you know that? Anything contrary to God and his purposes serves as fuel for the enemy. So it stands to reason. Think about this. Remember, knowing the schemes, knowing what we're up against. Who's our enemy? It's not flesh and blood. So let's understand something here about our enemy. A tool given by God for good, tongue, would be just a place for the enemy to attack. Gain a foothold on the tongue and the enemy accomplishes a few things. Listen to what the enemy accomplishes if he gains a foothold with your tongue. First of all, he has gained a foothold on your heart by default. By default. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a connection. So if he's gained a foothold with your tongue, by default, he's gained a foothold in your heart. Secondly, he wins your allegiance even if but for a moment. Third, his quest to kill, steal, and destroy begins to take shape in your life. Jesus says, I've come to give abundant life. The thief comes to what? Kill, steal, destroy. And he'll do that through your tongue. And fourthly, he thwarts God's good purpose for the tongue. See, God intended this tongue to be for his good, for his glory, for his blessing, his praise. And so when the enemy has opportunity, he loves the opportunity to be able to thwart God's good in your life. Words of death result in a tongue uncontrolled and a life operating in the flesh. Keep looking at the text. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, James draws out a contrast in these two verses. He's got beasts of the field, birds of the air, reptiles that crawl on the ground, creatures that swim in the sea. Every kind of such animal described, creature described, is tamed, has been tamed by the species of, notice, the category of mankind. It really has the flavor in many ways of Genesis chapter 1. Man taking dominion over the things God has created. Have dominion over these things. But James says, no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So what, what do you do with that verse? What do you do with that verse? You know, as I was studying this week, it's a verse that very easily people can come to and they can just, all the life can just get sucked out of them when they read that verse. 
No man can tame the tongue. Easy to perhaps read a sense of hopelessness there. Some might be inclined to walk away from the verse defeated. No man can tame the tongue. Others might walk away seeing it as a license. Well, since there's no way to tame the tongue, I guess it doesn't really matter how, my, how, how I use it. I can use it any way I'd like to, since no man can tame it. That's about as foolish as one continuing in sin, because after all, grace abounds much more. No. This is not a license to use your tongue however you desire to use your tongue. No man can tame the tongue. Do you see what the text says? Look at verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. I'll put the emphasis on that, those two words. No man can tame the tongue. What about God? Any instances in the scriptures where he turned one's tongue around? Any evidence that God can reform one's tongue and by extension one's heart? Be of good courage in the text. You see, your tongue has been given to you by God to be used for godly purposes. His spirit in you will assist you and point you to use your tongue for Christ. His word in you. This is so important. His word in you will guide your tongue to speak right things. As your word has been hidden in your heart that you might not sin against God. Are we piecing the scriptures together? Words of life are possible with the tongue. And so are words of death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now these last four verses, they go together. And I believe James is sounding a warning, a wake-up call to the church about the use of their tongues. So this is a warning to all. And there's a question that's attached to this warning to all. Does your tongue reflect your faith? James has been talking a lot about faith, hasn't he? Well, he's not just talking about the tongue apart from faith. Oh, no, I believe there is quite a connection between how one uses the tongue and the faith that they hold to. Does your tongue reflect your faith? Think about the question as you read these final verses. I want you to know how God would have you steward this little member called the tongue. James 3, 9 and 10. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. With the tongue we bless God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. We sing praises to God. We bless God. And with the same tongue, we curse men. And some of you are sitting here saying, well, I don't use any foul words. I don't use any bad language. That's not just talking about bad language. By the way, let me just say a word for those of you who do. It ought not be. It ought not be. If you are in Christ, those words have no business coming out of your mouth. That's not Steve speaking. That's Ephesians 5 speaking. Read it. Read the end of four, end of five. It'll tell you. That's not acceptable. That's not fitting for the saints. Coarse jesting and joking. Instead, we ought to be using it for thanksgiving. Praise. James says, out of this mouth comes blessing and cursing. One writer says that James finally portrays the major problem that makes the tongue so evil. It's, it's duplicity. Remember in chapter 1 he talked about a double-minded person? Here we're seeing a double-tongued person. Double-tongued. Blessing the Lord and cursing people reflect the best and the worst of human speech. James reminds us that, that men have been made in the similitude or in the image of God. All men are created in the image of God. Now, all of a sudden, James has just broadened the scope of the passage. He says that this cursing of men who have been made in the similitude of God. 
Who is it that's been made in the similitude of God? Do you see the passage all of a sudden now it gets a lot bigger? Because these tongues were not only accountable to brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are accountable with these tongues to all men. For all have been created in the image of God. And he says that out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. How is it that two extremes, blessing and cursing, flow out of the same mouth? Does your tongue reflect your faith in the Lord? The end of chapter 3, verse 10 says, My brethren, these things ought not to be so. As if it needed to be spoken, right? James says, such mixed messages with the tongue ought not be so. Blessing and cursing men. This is convicting, church, as as it relates to the home, as it relates to the church. Let me put forward that none of us are without sin. We probably all intellectually realize that and understand that. But let me also put forward that all of us, if we are in Christ, ought to desire sanctification. Church, this is the will of God, our sanctification. Cursing and blessing out of the same mouth ought not be so. One writer says that people turn deceitful when they speak with forked tongues. Like Jesus, James insists that what comes from people's mouths illustrates their hearts. So that this kind of doublespeak reveals the vacillating allegiance condemned. There's a vacillating allegiance. And we see that through what comes out of the tongue. It's rooted in the heart. James 3.11 says, Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter or salty from the same opening? And so illustrating once again from nature to show how these things ought not to be, James points to the spring of water. The spring sends forth fresh water or salty water. The writer says, Here our mouths are compared to springs of water, but springs provide either salt water or sweet water, fresh water. They cannot produce both. To mix in even a little salt makes all the water salty. So too, if our words stem from our heart, they should be pure, not mixed with evil. Such mixing befouls every part of it. God help us with our tongues. Verse 12. Can a fig tree... My brethren bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? I believe you know the answer to those questions. I love the fact that James gives us questions that we can answer pretty easily. Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. What we see in verses 9 and 10 is one who lives an inconsistent life. Blessing and cursing. They ought not be for the one who's following Jesus Christ. It's inconsistent. Verse 11 speaks to this incongruency, this things that are different. We're mixing words of life with words of death. And that sends a mixed message to those around us. In verse 12, the word there that comes to mind is incapable. I'm reminded of Jesus' words A bad tree produces what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. A good tree produces what kind of fruit? Good fruit. A bad heart produces bad fruit. A good heart produces good fruit. Does your tongue reflect your faith? Do you see the connection James is making with your tongue and your faith? In fact, James 2.22, I was reminded at the end there where it says, talking about Abraham and the example we gave last week, By works, faith was made perfect. Could it not also be said from James 3, 1 through 12, that by words, faith is made perfect? Or by the tongue, the use of the tongue, one's faith is made perfect. And we think about the role of the words, the role of the tongue, even in bringing up Abraham last week. Did Abraham use any words, you think, when he took Isaac up the mountain? I'm pretty certain he did. How about Rahab when she harbored the spies? You think she used any words when the, when the spies came? I'm pretty sure she did. You see, so our words, coupled with our works, 
coupled with our faith. Do you see all this all works together? These are not just compartment things that James is addressing. These all tie together. These all work together. Well, if you were watching a weather report in light of storms coming in, I believe most of us here would be inclined to listen, would want to know if that severe weather is coming our way. And just like the teacher, the weather people don't always get it right either. But in meteorological terminology, James has issued a warning in this text. Not a watch. You know the difference between a warning and a watch, don't you? A watch is more of a heads up. A warning is you better get ready because it's coming. It's been spotted and it's headed your way. The tongue is a fire. World of iniquity, defiling the whole body, long-term effects, set on fire by hell, full of deadly poison, unruly evil. This is the warning. It will do great damage and has already done great damage in some instances. It will do more, church, than simply blow the roof off of your house or flood your basement. Left uncontrolled, the tongue will affect souls for eternity. Yours, those in your household, those in this church body, and those far from the Lord, Jesus Christ. Just as this little member has great potential for destruction, I want to encourage you that God has given you a tongue to praise Him. The words you speak not only edify the body of Christ but they have the power to impact a life far from the Lord. How you respond to others, how you handle defeat, how you handle loss, how you handle suffering and painful situations, how you handle conflict. The world is watching you and listening to your voice. Your tongue is going to speak that which is in your heart. Does your tongue reflect your faith? Will you with this little member partner with the father of lies? Or will you follow your father in heaven? Live as a new creation in Christ. Walking in the spirit. Washed in this word. Submitting this little member to God as an instrument of righteousness. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21 says. And I want to give one other final thing about this warning. Unlike the meteorologist's warning that he gives about the weather, the warning in the text is ongoing. The thunderstorms come. They stay for a while. And then they move on. It's temporary. But the warning James speaks of is long term. Daily. Moment by moment. And therein lies the great challenge with this little member called the tongue. As long as you have this tongue, you are confronted with the warning of the scriptures. And by the way, any efforts... To work on the tongue apart from doing the necessary heart work will prove futile. Did you hear that? Any effort to do some work on the tongue apart from doing the necessary heart work will prove futile. Work on the tongue only and you have put a patch on the real problem. That's all you've done. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is the current state of of your heart and perhaps the place to begin heeding the warning right here in the text perhaps the place to begin is a repentant heart repentance to God over sending mixed these these messages that are mixed repentance to God over using our tongue 
and allowing the father of lies leverage in our lives. You know, David came before God with this broken and contrite heart in Psalm 51, didn't he? You know what the text says? I believe this is instructive as we bring James 3 to a close. A broken and contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. Church, that sounds like a great place to begin transforming this little member called the tongue. Let's take heed to the warning. Let's pray. Father, a warning has been sounded. May we use these tongues that you have given to us for your good purposes, for your glory. May we all come before you with a repentant heart in this arena of our tongue, our speech, realizing that words that have come out of our mouth Reveal to us what our heart really looks like. Father, it's our desire to walk with you. It's our desire to speak your wonderful words of life. To use the tongue as you have given the tongue its purpose. To use it in that way. May we not send mixed messages to the world around us. May we not think it okay to speak and use this tongue however we'd like to use it. You have given us life. You have breathed life into us. You have made us a new creation in Christ. And being a new creation, we are to walk in newness of life. And walking in newness of life includes using our tongue in a new way. For your glory, for your purposes. Father, I pray that you would help us in this. We need your help. We need your assistance through your spirit to guide us, to keep us on the right path. Father, when we're tempted to stray with our tongue, may we be reminded of the warning that's been set forth here in the text. And may we walk in this truth together as a body. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.